To me, magic is hope. It's joy. It's pure, pure passion. It's a feeling that we can create a better earth. It's the sparkle behind people's eyes. Magic is that secret ingredient to getting through those tougher days, and it's the thing that makes dreams actually seem possible. Welcome to an absolute passion project of mine, a collection of conversations telling the stories of people making magic real. Hello and welcome back to Making Magic Real. Today we are on episode 12 and I'm so, so excited to be starting this year with a really special chat with Tyler. Tyler is the human behind Kin of the Bush. She holds such a beautifully kind presence, is so full of passion and I just love the way she's so incredibly aware and connected with all her surroundings. Our chat today is around her life journey and her rekindling of her soul fire through nature connection and ancestral bushcrafts and skills. Through her journey, she has learned from so many masters and mentors and people from the land, past and present, so many beautiful skills such as basketry, hide tanning, ancestral nutrition, how to grow her own food and just skills that really set set her up to be self-sufficient, self-reliant, resilient, confident and just connected to herself and to the land and now she's kind of living her life sharing these skills and passing them on and teaching and empowering others and creating these beautiful little communities wherever she goes. We will also be diving a little deeper into the topic of animal tanning as a sacred practice today as well. So if you're not sure what tanning is, I just put a little definition here. So tanning is a process of treating skins and hides of animals to produce leather. And tanning the hide into leather involves a process which permanently alters the protein structure of the skin, making it more durable and less susceptible to decomposing. Tyler had shown me some hides she tanned as well. And some of them, it says leather, I instantly kind of think just like super leathery, um, some of them still have like the fur intact of the animal and then like a bit leathery on one side. Really, really beautiful. I also understand this topic can potentially be a little sensitive for some people. And if I'm honest, this is not something I ever thought I would be learning about. But yeah, I've just found as you dive more into self-reliance and really learning to live with the land and yeah just stepping in to that role of being part of nature these skills just make so much sense and they just feel so familiar so yeah I'm really excited to share this conversation about it I'm just learning all about this too so I feel like we're kind of learning together and it's been really interesting even so far just the little bits that I've dipped my toe in something about these skills just it feels so familiar and it really feels like this like homecoming as you walk this like sacred path of remembering but it also comes with this kind of kind of like a deep sadness for just mourning how far removed we are away from nature as a society and just that disbelief that our society could even get to this point and I think this mourning for the pain that the original custodians of the earth have had to suffer as their these cultures like the cultures and the skills have carried and magic has just been attempted to be stamped out and yeah I feel like that's part of diving into this a little bit but I do feel so grateful that these like wisps of their knowledge of magic have been kept alive and passed down as I feel like this is like this knowledge truly is the key to helping all of us refine our place together in community and in commune with the spirit of the land so yeah I'm really excited to share this conversation with Tyler today so yeah let's begin. Welcome Tyler to Making Magic Real. I'm so excited to be in your humble abode. Mm. 
and chatting with you today. Yeah, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. <laughs> Pleasure. <laughs> so I met Tyler literally very recently. Mm. I think like a couple of weeks ago. Time's strange. Mm. Probably a couple of weeks ago yeah. at a rewilding women's retreat where we were just like learning nature connection skills and you were teaching weaving mm. and talking on tanning and Emma was doing spoons and Eva was just like holding this big weekend, like yeah. passing all her bits of knowledge on. And I feel like that weekend for me was just like opened up this whole new layer of depth to the world that I know I already thought there was a lot of depth in the world. And I remember like last year doing the permaculture course and being like, yes, like this is what I've been missing. Like this fills so many holes in my life. And then I feel like the bushcraft and like ancestral skills, like I'm very new to this. And this has just opened up again or filled in, I should say, all these holes I didn't know need to be filled. So yeah, it's just so exciting that you fill your life with this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a, I mean, it's what keeps me sane and happy. I don't know what I'd be without it. So I'd love to start today with, if you'd like to share, you have a lot of skills and bits and pieces yeah. you do. If you just kind of like to do like an overview of the skills and kind of crafts that you like share or you hold or you teach people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, predominantly it's basket weaving. A lot of different styles of basket weaving with natives, landscapes, invasives and mm. whether it's with vines or bast fibres or leaves, um, a bit of all of it. And then it's mm. high turning and honouring the whole animal and um, learning how to use and utilise each part of the animal as you're processing. In time it will be more Ellie and I are running camps yep. incorporating food and shelter and all the different things that you need so it might include fermenting and fermenting veggies smoking meats i was thinking about that the other day yeah. actually i saw a salt bush or something does that help preserve meats i haven't used salt bush okay. i haven't been around it but i know it's a great spot like okay, it's a great cool. herb to be used in cooking but yeah like it's really passionate about all things land-based living and in this time in history so mm. uh, and being immediate return hunter gatherers isn't a way that we necessarily can do it now so how do we do that is that domestic you know having animals or yep. is that roadkill or yep. uh, is that just knowing local farmers or hunters um, but finding a way to just own each part of our lives and mm. have a direct contact with it and not just in our food but in the clothes we wear yep. in the homes that we build mm. for both sanity for <laughs> connection <laughs> to the land empowerment confidence but also um, a disconnection from the state yeah. and from even if we're not experiencing violence and intensity in our days then someone else is experiencing that for us yeah. so I want a direct connection to those things and not mm. outsource it and I feel like that's such a big it's such a big thing and it's kind of overwhelming like as you start <laughs> diving into it like you yeah. kind of everyone knows all the products like and all the things they consume aren't good or they have like ramifications but you kind of like it's almost too big to look at and I feel like I've definitely been going through that journey lately of just being like, oh, where's his clothes come from? Or like, oh, wow, how's... Or Steph was telling us the other day how, like, silk was made yep. and, like, all the stuff happens to the worms. And then you, like, you just, like, find out all the intricacies of all the animals maybe that are used on a mass scale or all the materials that are used on a mass mm. scale that are so detriment, like so detrimentally used. Yeah. And it's so heartbreaking. So I think, yeah this way of living of coming back to like I know really like integrated lifestyle where you mm. like you, you're creating everything from the land with intention like with good intention yeah yeah just knowing knowing yeah. where stuff comes from like and it's just, so simple exactly but like it's it's like you but said huge. it's huge yeah. like a, this has been years and years of diving through different rabbit holes and yeah. you know, it's going to be lifetimes of diving through yeah. different rabbit holes you'll never be bored no I love learning <laughs> <laughs> so it's you're very exciting be like 90 year old and be like Tell me more. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. <laughs> and then come back as a ghost and be like, tell me more. <laughs> Everyone's like, leave me alone. <laughs> 
Oops. Sitting there still pestering us. Yeah. Like, so how do you do that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, so talking of rabbit holes, mm. I imagine you've been on so many rabbit holes. And oh. yeah, I imagine it would be such a big journey to cover mm. but I'm really keen to chat about today how you like how this came to be your life basically mm. encompassing your whole life and yeah was it a natural progression from a young age led you to this or was there like maybe a catalyst of change like sometimes something happens maybe it's two things you know the universe is mm. like I gave you one son and here's your second <laughs> kick <laughs> you're like okay I'm listening <laughs> um but yeah if you'd like to just like chat about your journey how it started or some rabbit hole points yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah it was, it was an interesting thing to look over my life in this way um yeah when I was when I finished Finished school and I, you know, gave uni a crack and I gave work a crack and as you do, only lasted <laughs> in both of them like six months to a year and it was just like, nah, yeah. like I didn't sign up for this. I didn't Tell sign me up. I did that too. <laughs> <laughs> didn't sign up for school, uni, work, career, yeah. marriage, divorce, kids. So I, I went and travelled within and out of Australia and just mm. going to different farms and communities and to cities to yeah. land-based folk, a bit of everywhere and just picked up things as I went along. Mm. There are a few big shifts were just shifts of knowledge, like d- diving into different worlds, and um, the permaculture was probably the first yeah. big one that kind of was just like, yeah. Was that and in just, Australia too? Yeah, yeah, that was. Uh, oh my no, my PDC was in Thailand. Oh cool. Yeah, and then I, but I had my first time on like a farm where we grew our own, most of our own food was in the northern rivers yeah, in nice. Australia. Yeah, and that yeah dove me down that rabbit hole, and uh, and then kept diving deeper, and I, but I was always more into like the bamboo building or the natural mm. building. A bit more of the, a bit outside of the growing of the food. Yep. A bit more of working with my hands in that way. I've been crafty since I was a little one, mm-hmm. whether it was embroidery or mosaic or painting or drawing. So it was always working with my hands. Yeah, and then it just yeah it kept shifting, and then I find I found basket weaving, and that was just like so exciting, and it was just still like my primary craft, I guess. But yeah, then I found nature philosophy, so they're like the ancestral yeah. skills and survival school down in Glenray. Oh, they were in Glenray, not far yeah. from here. So you're like, yeah. what is this magic? Yeah, <laughs> it was just. Like oh it was just uh, it was a homecoming yeah a huge huge homecoming um yeah and I you know, came in and out of programs with them for six months or so and and then I had a big call to go and visit family doing an ancestral journey with my family's from Jordan and Malta so I went over there and um wow which was just yeah life changing yeah <laughs> absolutely extraordinary and and it was leaving that I would go to a new landscape and look around it's like what wood can I carve with what mm. what fibers are in the landscape what animals would are around what plants what what could I forage what can I use like and it was just always this constant question doesn't matter where I went yeah um, and I met other land-based folk around there and spent time with Bedouins in the desert. And that would have been incredible. Absolutely extraordinary. Yeah. Uh, it was just, yeah, it was a deep homecoming in a way that I never thought you could experience. Yeah. And did you, yeah. when you went to Jordan to and Malta, did you have, like, how did you, did you find, like, communities where your family was in the past? Or did you just go over there knowing your history was back there? And then... Well, my family's still there. They're still there. Yes. Yeah, oh, so cool. it's, it's very recent that my family come yeah. to Australia. So, oh, yeah, nice. I went to visit family on both sides. Oh, and, amazing. Yeah, which was super beautiful. Yeah. And, um... Yeah, and then I just kind of started hunting around for my like-minded folk on different farms, a bit, mm. bit hidden away, and yeah, people doing really epic things. Yeah. But also, there's still, but there were there are better ones living their traditional ways down south as well. That was mm. pretty incredible. I love that too. How you're saying like when you go different places, like the question or the conversation with the land mm. comes up. So I was like literally thinking about this probably like two days ago. Mm. Just like this whole realm of like yeah, like what wood can I carve or what sticks can mm. I play with or just like I've been loving making like. 
um, flower pattern mandalas and stuff. Like, oh, what can I leave for the earth kind of thing today? And it really does strengthen, like, it kind of makes the world not scary. That's Mm. what I'm thinking. Like, it's like, like yeah, yeah, like you go somewhere and you're like, oh, friends, like in the plants, or like, oh, how um, you're interacting with it. So it's not, yeah, it's not scary or fearful. And then I find even the people who are interested in these skills too, there's just that deeper, it's a deeper connection that you don't, haven't had before, like permaculture and like the bushcrafting skills. Like, it's just like, yeah, it's just such a strong, beautiful connection when you meet these people, even if it's the first time. Yeah. Yeah. And I even thought that actually about the wilding weekend. Mm. I didn't know, like, that was the first time you'd met. Emma and Eva, mm. who were holding the weekend. Yeah. I just thought you guys were like yeah. friends from way back. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the connections are just, yeah, yeah, so much stronger. And yeah, and it's it's so exciting meeting new friends in in the plant and yeah. animal world. It's just like, oh, you work like this, or you got this texture and you have this strength. It's like, what's the big? I, I can honor you. It's like, can you do this style of basket or not? Or like, yeah. what style of carving or what, what you know? And I just love that experimenting and playing and getting to know like that building of relationship I just I crave like it's one of my favorite things is like even from where we live now just driving you know 50 k's you know not too far and it's it shifts so much and it's just like oh who's over here it's like (laughs) (laughs) what's what's going on here and I just and that constant change in the season and it's just yeah I love it so yeah it just makes home Mm. but yeah after Jordan and Malta I lived in England for a while so um, what made you go over there See old friends. Was, this was when I was young and I had my London <laughs> little period and I uh, went to go see some old friends and I just wanted to like nestle in for the winter and mm-hmm. it had been busy visiting family and stuff and so I just wanted to lie low and Have craft. a snowy winter? Not Did quite snow, just very wet. Yeah. Very wet. And that's when I found Tinker's Bubble. And Tinker's, what was it? Tinker's Bubble. It's a, it's a land-based community in the southwest of England. Ooh. And they grow pretty much all their own food. And so meat, eggs, milk, cheese, veggies, all the rest. And build all their own homes from the timber wow. plantation of the Tumblers Furs that is that are felled by hand with they cross-cut saws Amazing. and moved by horses and smelled on a fired, um, like a wood-powered steam engine sawmill. That's so cool. Yeah, we made our own cider and apple juice and, yeah, had so oats and shit. self-sufficient yeah. in that. Having and going people. for 25 years. And wow. while we were there, maybe 14, 15 people with it, like, including a few kids. Wow. Yeah. And it it's was pretty solid, like, yeah. as in, like, for the workload, too. Yeah. Because it's, like, a bit of work to it. Like. Yeah, it was, it's no shortage of work. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a lot of work to do that, but um, it's the most rewarding. And mm. I didn't realise... And, oh, just to add on top of it, yeah. we did it all by hand. Cool. So there was no power tools involved. No electricity. No, we had a power to just, like, charge a phone yep. and a laptop and the lights. Mm-hmm. But that was it. Mm-hmm. Everything else. So we cooked all on fire, did a lot of legwork and yep. um, bikes and horse and cart. Yeah, all hand hand or horse powered. The most rewarding way of living. And to know you ever. can do it. Yeah, or like exactly. It, it, it actually works. Like, it, I think a lot exactly. of people, it's, like, too hard or it's, like, they have to sacrifice too much exactly. or... Yeah, everyone just gets used to, like, creature comforts, like, obviously myself mm. included, and you just get so used to that, like, turning the lights on, <laughs> or using this and using this, mm. but it's so doable. You have a system in place and a group of people that are willing to do it. Completely, yeah. and I guess, like, something that I've been thinking a lot about is shifting from comfort and convenience yeah. to connection and relationship, nice. and that constant shift, like, as as you choose one over the other, such a shift in your life. Yeah, so yeah. that, I lived at Tinker's Bubble for nine months, and not initially... Nice went to but the yeah. world kind of went to the way the world went and but that's where I'm oh, so you ended up there in like all yeah. the lockdown craziness yes oh, so bef- yeah so that's where I met Ollie yep. my partner so wow. then nine months and then lived in a regenerative dairy farm for another three months 
Cool. Yeah. What a way. I think that's like, like incredible timing too. Like everything's going to <laughs> yeah. crap a bit and like yeah. everyone's like, oh my God. And people are just going like havoc and we're watching yeah. our systems like breaking down or, you know, yeah. they're still kind of, I feel like at the moment we're in almost like a pretend stage where mm. like the systems are like, yeah, it's fine. We're all right. <laughs> yeah. We've got just food. An but stage. then you just, yeah, yeah. And you start to like dig a little bit and you're like, oh, I wanted to buy this tool and it's out of stock everywhere. And mm. you're like, oh, this isn't coming in here. Exactly. And you're like, you're just watching them like break down, but still yeah. it's pretend to be there. Yeah. yeah. And then you're just saying like, we have the other way and it works. It was like, actually incredible to yeah. watch like the world going. And like in England, like a lot of the shelves, you know, were empty. And, yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. But then, like, nothing at all changed for us yeah. at the community. And even one guy who, who doesn't really, like, check the news or go online at all, he's like, why are people wearing masks in the shops? I love that. <laughs> and it's just, like, had no concept that anything was going on because, like, life didn't really change for yeah. us. And it was just so there was, like, a month, a couple of months there where we were like, yeah, we did <laughs> we were right and we had nailed it was just like there was yeah, a lot of motivation like, like years for them too people are like they're <laughs> yeah. crazy or like what are yeah. they doing or like and then you're like ah oh, <laughs> yeah. we are in yeah. abundance and now we get like a, you know, we're getting lots of emails of people wanting to come and live there and volunteer because everyone yeah. wanted to yeah realising that that was actually yeah works I think that's a one definitely a big blessing of like all the craziness of the mm. world happening is that people are like okay wow these skills and these yeah. like communities have a place mm. and now there's like like myself included jumping into this like oh my goodness I need to like I do need to live differently or do need to live a different way and now it's like that knowledge is just like in demand which is actually so exciting because we're usually the ones that are like kind of in the back burner yeah. like why do I want to learn that you know? yeah. like, and now it's just like actually really yeah, in demand like you said so it's yeah, it's exciting. <laughs> So after there, after being in, the, was it called Tinker's? Tinker's Bubble. Tinker's Bubble. So Tinker's Travellers yeah. at the time, and so it was the Tinker's Bubble. There was this, there's a spring that runs through it and um, through the land, and that was the oh, drinking like spot. Like yeah. a bubbling Like bubble. a bubbling, yes, so Tinker's cute. Bubble. Oh, that's so sweet. And then after you did then three months in the regenerative dairy farm, mm-hmm. then did you come back? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. And then we came back. I think those those three points, permaculture and then the ancestral skills and then Tinkers, because Tinkers kind of like brought it all together. Mm. It was like permaculture, like learning about growing food and all those sort of systems. But permaculture does go back to indigenous horticulture yeah. methods, right? So that sort of land-based way and then shifting more into land-based ways within this land here on Kumbangi yeah. country and like learning about yeah, a way to have connection and relationship within this land and then but then wanting to be here in the present in the sense of like okay mm. I get that I get and understand like hunter gatherer ways but it's like how can we make that a possible way to live now yeah and tinkers really kind of threw that in solidity mm. and it shifted my entire way of being yeah now it's just so excited to be on land and be able to have that dream and where we want to live and, and share it with others I think that's the biggest thing is not just being able to share it yeah. and pass it on and like if that's changed it's like a little triangle mm. of things just like can change your life like that like yeah how many other people yeah can feel so much more fulfilled and just happy exactly. and purposeful mm. i think too yeah i was just exactly. gonna ask about this too it's yeah. like when you teach people yeah what do you watch transition in them as well yeah it's like the, there's almost like an, a shift there's a complete shift in their perspective it's yeah. just like and often it's basketry that i've done more workshop more yeah workshops in and it's just suddenly looking at the lens like, oh that's a long leaf it's like i yeah. wonder if i can weave with that and they come back to me months later and they're like oh i try weaving that's with so this cool. and yeah i could do it like this and then how do you do it with this plant like what do i do that and i just like <laughs> it makes me so happy 
because <laughs> like if anything I like for people to take away is just play and experiment yeah you know just just go with it see what happens and get to know the plants and see what, what they need and just give it a go except yeah. mistakes happen and and it's how we learn yeah and so when people come back to me months later and say that I'm just like like then we can chat about plants and more yeah. people I can yeah. chat about plants so it's, it's, it's really exciting it's just like building all your friends <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a sweet little community yeah <laughs> love to chat about today tanning mm. and i kind of kind of going back to that having reverence for the animal and the whole animal and building relationship mm-hmm. with animals as well tanning for me is something i wouldn't have considered that i would want to do or like i eat meat kind of thing when i need it and that kind of just didn't think oh to be honest actually i wouldn't even think i'd really use tools like i just had big mm. like lots of blocks of like i can't do that mm. or like wish I could build myself a frame but I can't use tools like I just had all these like stories that were just stopping me and then after that weekend just like so simple and it's just like open up this huge cavity of just like whoa like I can use tools and I have my little knife now I'm a little sore and I'm like now I want to learn tanning and I can see there's such a place for it as well especially for clothes or warmth and yeah starting to look into clothes more where they come from or like maybe limited access like if you can't get to the shops or they're not stocking them and just all those kind of things you start to see where this skill comes in so handy Mm. and I just want to learn all about it Um, so and yeah I'd love to hear brief history and I guess how it's changed over the years as well yeah really interesting yeah so um tanning high tanning has been a part of like the human species for like uh of two million years so we've been nomadic hunter gatherers for two million years and a byproduct, a so-called byproduct of hunting yeah. and animals is the skin. And around the same time, fire is also mm. being used. And so as nomadic hunter-gatherers, yeah, we're hunting animals and at the very least using the, the skin as a vessel of transport yeah. to, to carry the meat, right? Yeah. And to carry it back to camp. Yeah, with the relationship within fire, we slowly, and how it happens exactly, we don't know. Mm. But with the relationship, so as if there's fat left on the skin, as you leave it by a fire, yeah. it melts into the skin. And then as you work, it as you like massage it and rub it it softens and then with smoke which is like kind of byproduct of fire it preserves it at that softness and so how how exactly that happened but that's the rough story of how we began to learn how to preserve animal skins but that that technique is found through every culture around the globe in every culture had a relationship has a relationship with animals and they all yeah that technique is the oldest all of humankind and yeah, so then that meant we, as like hairless, a hairless species, yeah. began to be able to be warmer, be able to get warm. So that means we could migrate to warmer, to colder climates. Yeah. We could then make shelters and wrap out, yeah, make clothing and bedding and vessels for food and water and all yeah. the rest. And so it's actually transformed us as a species, mm. is our relationship with animal kin and hind tanning. And slowly as we went through history, um, vegetable tanning came around, which is commonly tree barks, but it's essentially like a strong tannin content. Oh, and vegetable tanning. It's called vegetable tanning, like oh. the old way of using the word vegetable. And yeah. so tree barks or roots or leaves or nutshells and things like that. And then you can tan, make a That's like the, the typical brown leather that you find. Is that a tree barks and... Yeah, from different, like, uh, things with strong tannin context, yeah. so, like, really astringent yeah. in your mouth. Um, and, yeah, you can make really amazing leather. So yeah. throughout Europe, there's, like, um, oak bark tanneries were yeah. really common uh, over the last few hundred years. But as demand increased, mm. so would resource and need to, but people kept failing. Yeah. They didn't have any oak, many oak trees left. Mm. So they needed to figure out 
another way of tanning. And that's when chrome tanning was invented in 1858, I'm pretty sure it was. And yeah, that is a highly toxic carcinogen chemical <laughs> that um, can tan things very quickly because vegetable yeah. tanning takes can take up to months to, to finish. And yeah. so chrome tanning can be done within like, I think it's a few days or weeks. Highly toxic chemical that toxifies people, toxifies the leather, toxifies the land around it with all the waste products. It's highly undurable, like it will fall apart and then you don't know if you want to wear chrome leather anyway. But then by falling apart means you have to buy more so it just creates that cycle of consumption. (laughs) Yeah, so if you have natural leather that like tans with either fat and smoke or vegetable, it will last generations if you care for it. And they're beautiful to touch and smell as something completely different. And so that's where we are at History, 90% of leather now wow. is, is chrome tanned um, wow. yeah because it, it does require a lot more time energy and resu- yeah. oh, you know, so-called resources to tan naturally and so there are certain leathers that aren't industrialized because they haven't found a way to industrialize them different so reasons fascinating, mm, it's so fascinating and just i like that where they try and justify you know oh we'll use the chrome because we can make more of it or whatever and yeah. it's such a money basing obviously but just it's that true. i don't know to meet demand but then they wouldn't have a higher demand if they had quality products yeah but like they wouldn't keep their cycle going yeah uh, it's just it fits into the industrial system very well down with that so yeah now there's a like luckily yeah the the knowledge isn't forgotten it's just a bit lower and people are doing there are more micro tanneries coming up there are still a few vegetable tanneries in the uk that i know oh no i think there's just one there's at least one um but there are people doing it now Mm. and just slowly creating more of a movement to more natural leather again my personal way of doing it is using waste side so hunters often don't use them they usually go into the bin and abattoirs really yeah hides are a waste product for most people because you don't have the time or energy or don't even don't know what to do the knowledge isn't so wide Um, so yeah I'm there's this group that I keep following natural tanning like the the amount of techniques that people are using that I've never even come across just people experimenting and using all different wacky things what's the weirdest but like not the nicest stuff there's glycerin (laughs) and methylated spirits and you know just like baking soda and you know it's just like I'm it's just fascinating but like the knowledge of of vegetable tan and fat and smoke tanning is just not so widely known so but there is a a huge movement I mean I see it as a huge movement like we know it's well known but um of natural tanners and experimenting with different barks in their bioregion and yeah with the animals that live around them and it's Mm. um it's extraordinary Mm. it's extraordinary the knowledge that is continually people are experimenting with and playing with um, and it's throughout the world it's yeah. just a, an underground world that isn't often widely known yeah i think there's a need for it and mm. yeah even just thinking i have like long lasting to like longevity of the things like i have a mm. piece of fur which is like my great nuns mm. uh, and it's so soft wow. and like such beautiful condition and i'm not sure if she it was from her day or then even before but yeah, just like such long lasting quality. Yeah. And then, yeah, if you can be using people's off cards. Oh my God, sorry. Oh, it's okay. was. The first just like be part of the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, oh, this hello. is. Oh, What's his son? This is Wayne. This is, um. This is Wayne. This is, is Wayne. This is, is a great That's his name. It was, it's, this is Ollie's. Um, oh, cool. a friend at Tinker's, like one of the neighbors had a, had a goat they were processing and Ollie, oh. like as a exchange, we'd help slaughter and process and then we get the skin. Beautiful colors. It's like brownie, yeah. white edges, cream. Images? Yeah, yeah, cream, do you, yeah. yeah. And the, the, the cream could be more from the smoke. Oh, okay, because, cool. Yeah, but yeah, this is his name's Wayne. Wayne. Hi, Wayne. Yeah. The night underneath is nice. Yeah. Did you, you smoked this? Yeah, so it's been yeah. rubbed with fat 
and massaged a lot, like worked a lot, and mm. then smoked. Nice. There you go. Wayne. Yeah. Welcome, Wayne. Yeah. We just set him up at the mic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's beautiful. You can sit there. He's so happy about this. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, my first podcast. <laughs> what an honour. I'm yeah. so glad Wayne's a part of it. Yeah, Wayne's, Wayne's well now. <laughs> it's been lovely chatting yeah. to you, Tyler. Let's <laughs> win. Yeah. So oh, good. Um, yeah, how is, I'd love to know, like, yeah, how is your first tanning experience? Because, yeah. like, I'm a little bit, I haven't done it before, mm-hmm. so I'm a little bit touched when I touched the other day. I'm <laughs> like, just so new to this. I think someone had found a snake the other day, and it was, like, a bit warm still, and I touched it, and I was like, no! Nah! And yeah. I just, I still, it's, it's interesting, but it's just, like, we were so not used to, especially in Western culture, yeah. like, not used to touching animals, like, dead animals, or even, like, really the whole death content yeah. in itself is very like sheltered mm-hmm. as a whole like we're not really faced with that a lot yeah how did you go with like your what was your first tan experiences like mm. or yeah how did you feel was it i don't know was it just yeah. really natural seeming or well first i had like different animal processing experiences before yeah. i led to the tanning okay and they were really full bodied like I, I almost felt the incision as you were cutting the skin and like i held oh. the heart of the of the roux and you know i watched um a goat get slaughtered during a it's like with the Bedouins during a Muslim holiday, um, you slaughter a goat, and I yeah. was a part of that process. And within ten minutes, we were eating their meat wow. as a way to, as a way of honouring. And it was just really full, but it was really yeah. like um, in, intense for me to to witness and be a part of that experience. But I kind of sat on the sideline for the, mm. the first you know couple of animals that I've seen and um, felt my body a lot and just watched yeah. and observed and um, yeah. And then when I was at Tinker's Bubble, um, so there's uh, Grey, grey squirrels, uh, the American grey squirrels, who are now eating a lot of the foods of the native red squirrels, who are now less prevalent, and the eastern greys have, have really taken over. And so part of an agreement with the Woodland Trust is to yeah, to hunt the eastern greys. Do they have fluffy tails? Yeah. Am I imagining this the right kind? Of, like, are yeah, they, they do. Fluffy They're tails? super lovely. Okay. Yeah, super sweet. And, um, yeah, they. so they. I think one day the guys went out and got, like, six or something, yeah. and we all sat there in the land in the roundhouse just processing them and that was the first time i yeah. processed an animal and that was that was quite intense there and then yeah we mm. went to tan it i had no idea what i was doing <laughs> bobby was there and we put it in the bark they were doing a bark tanning but i kept having to go to ollie and bobby like is it ready now like <laughs> what am i supposed to be looking for like i had no concept of it and then yeah eventually it was ready and i, I sat in front of the fire and, and softened it but like, I was softening it when it's wet for, like, two hours, which does absolutely nothing. And you're not meant to. So yeah. it's meant to be dried out? So it's, like, so as that, it's drying, yeah. you're wanting to soften it. But mine was, like, soppy wet. And oh I was working God. it soppy wet. Not soppy wet, but just, you know, pretty wet for, like, two hours. I went back to Bobby. He's like, that was actually a waste of time. It did nothing. It's like, oh. It's anything. Yeah. <laughs> Don't mind me. That's it. <laughs> yeah, so that, but I could to get them soft and I made a yeah. sweet little pouch from oh, the squirrel. And most of them, the boys didn't really want, so I, I softened the rest and I made a vest. Cool. Yeah, I made a little squirrel vest with some rat off cuts, a rat and a couple of moles and some yeah. rabbit. And Wait, do you have that in Wild Beans? Do you pass yeah, that around? Yeah. yeah. That was so cool. Yeah, so that's a really special vest of mine. Oh. Yeah. And slowly more and more, like I, I um, tend this goat skin that I'm sitting behind. Oh, nice. um, it's one of What's the goats name? from Tinkers. I think this is Brambles, but we're not sure anymore. And um, and yeah, then I did a buckskin with Ollie. Buckskin, yeah. it makes more leather that I ended up making my summer top with. 
And what was that? Oh, you what about being was it a buck like that stomach that was hexagons? Yeah, so like that's, on the pattern mm-hmm. of their stomach, and I was just blown away that was inside an animal because it's like mind blowing to me because you don't really look at the insides of animals much. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I remember we when we um, processed one of the goats at Tinkers, and we just. Me, Ollie and Bobby sat in a tub with the tub of all like the innards yeah. and we just all sat around elbow deep in fermented grass and just going through the, the and see what we could use and utilise yeah. and learn and, and just learn about what you got and then suddenly we pull out the stomach mm. and just like, what? Like, yeah. is this real? Like, yeah, because it literally yeah. looks like someone sewed on mm. like hexagon shapes all perfectly on the outside but it's, it's just that's the pattern of the stomach. It's absolutely phenomenal. So I think it's the albumen. It's uh, okay. one of the second stomachs. Yeah. Unfortunately, the first one I got was eaten by badgers. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, in turning, you kind of always... It's you and the animals are yeah. always yeah, having a little <laughs> thing there. But the second one I got, I got from a ram stomach. There's not heaps of knowledge out there, even in the tanning world, of... of Turning stomachs and making them like useful vessels for water or wine or mm. whiskey or whatever you want to put in it. Um, so I bark tanned it, just experimenting with that. It's it does hold, but it's yeah. a bit brittle. Yeah. Um. So I kind of keep dried flowers and stuff in it, which is really sweet. Agile and I just edged. Yeah, yeah. I just like edged it with some buckskin, and now yeah. I just hang it up. It's just such a stunning pattern, and mm. but even like my experimenting with plants the way I do with weaving it, it's yeah. the same with animals in a way because like there's an understanding of a way to process and yeah. then there's all the the play in, around that yeah I just love that getting to know it and experimenting and see what works and what doesn't mm. where it's best fit and how do you I guess give like reverence to the animal in the sense of like is it just an intentional thing in the way you go about it yeah I guess everyone does it differently yeah I can't speak for others but I guess for me it's like at that point in time when I whether it's slaughtering or, or finding roadkill, mm. it's honouring them to the best of my ability. Yeah. And so that's using each part. So I collect, I keep the, the ears and the claws and the hoofs and tails mm. off to take to bush school for the kids to yeah. to give them a closer connection is always to take the skin and use that in whatever way, as much meat as we can and organs to eat. And then it all depends as well on um, the time I have in the day, my energy yeah. levels. And so knowing that whatever I don't process, whether it's because it's, you know, really green meat from being hit or yeah. um, I just don't have the capacity to go and deal with all the innards, at least it will, it yeah. will feed the land. Yeah. And so burying them and giving them the dignity and respect they deserve. I think, yeah, the intention and respect and, and the, the reverence just comes with the process, like yeah. you said. There are personal moments throughout that and mm. you might find joey-bearing, couch-bearing animals, you might find little ones. Oh. And so that's a whole process in itself yeah. there. Yeah, um, yeah. that It's such an emotional process. Yeah. You're constantly dealing with life and death. and yeah. you're, you're getting to know, especially with roadkill, you're really getting to know how they got hit. Yeah. You're getting to know their life through their scars and their liver and their stomach units and, and yeah, if they do have a little joey in the pouch. It's mm. huge. Mm. And it doesn't I I don't think it ever gets easier. No. And I don't think it should either. No. I think that's yeah, yeah the presence in it and like mm. feeling it all is like that's what we're also coming back to. Yeah. Because we're so removed or just like yeah, so detached or exactly. yeah, just bringing back all that emotion, even if it is hard. And I think, exactly. like, and with roadkill too, it's like they're like our human roads. Like we've put them there. Exactly. Like we're going through their, <laughs> their like roads their going through their homes. Yeah. yeah. So it's like I guess it'd be a grieving too for like as a whole. Like we've created that. Yeah, being able to have some sort of reverence or like ceremony or just yeah. burying them 
um, is beautiful. Yeah. And just leaving them on the road to rot and then allowing scavengers then to also possibly get hit yeah. is, is quite a conundrum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's quite heartbreaking, especially with the legalities around roadkill in Australia. Yeah, I but didn't realise. I think Emma had mentioned it's illegal yeah. or something. I didn't realise, because I was, again, very new to this. Yeah, but I was yeah, like, yeah. I just, to me... It's not how many things are illegal that you don't know about until you start diving into it and you're like, why is that? What? Now it just feels like, I think, yeah. what's his name? Um, oh, I can't remember his name right now, but essentially everything I want to do is illegal. Is this yeah. what feels like my life? Is. <laughs> like, who knew? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You just got to find your own way, I think. That's it. <laughs> And the thing with animals, I think it, what I'd like to say is just like if, if they're on the road, pull them a couple of metres off yeah. into the nearby bush. And that way at least scavengers yep. can then eat without getting hit. And they, at least it's a bit more dignity hitting yeah. in the bush and not like splat on the road. I know. And, and at least you can break down, like you said, like break down exactly, into the earth. Into not just like another car swerving or they're like exactly. hitting it and they're just going to the concrete. And yeah, how would this look to like if people were to adopt I guess yeah gathering roadkill and yeah having that more reverence if this was to be adopted on a kind of more commonplace again because mm. that's what it was yeah um we've just it's yeah like you said it becomes a minority now it's a mm. rarity that people yeah. do this um how would it look I guess sustainably and yeah I guess it's more of an imaginative question in that yeah. sense of like what ideally would have to change or like would there have to be certain lands given to certain areas like how would that's a huge question i think it depends <laughs> it depends well whether we're talking about meat or milk or leather i guess but yeah. also it depends on what your bioregions like what the sort of cultures that's the people that are living there, the amount of people um what, yeah. what's the lens capacity there like are you living in canyony rocky areas or are you living yeah. in the lush subtropics yeah you know so i guess it, it's really dependent individual place because the but diet I, would change on place too exactly like you had more fruit maybe you're more like fruit not dwelling exactly. and then maybe it's colder and you're eating more things yeah. or, so no. it's and yeah it depends on the native populations and the feral populations mm. and the culture around it, like England has a, or the UK has a, de- a deer stalking agreement. Deer stalker. Yeah, like to, to just a way to manage the deer population because yeah. there are no longer wolves who were one of the apex predators, but this, humans are also apex predators. Yeah. So it's about managing deer populations. And so then, so then there's a, an industry for venison. So there are ways of doing it that, like, in a way, that's imaged in, in the UK. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I guess I guess at the least is, like, having a connection to, if it is leather, if it is milk, if it is eggs, if it's... If it's meat, whatever it is, if it's veg, it's just about having a connection to where it comes from. Yep. And wh- whether you're doing it yourself and raising your own animals or whether you know the people mm. in the locally that are doing yeah. it and doing it in a way that yeah, is respecting. It's so nice for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I guess... um. In terms of leather, like micro tanneries will slowly become hopefully more and more. Yeah. So getting farmers and hunters skins and processing them for the mm. community's needs. In the long run, we, we hope to micro tan. We'll see what happens. Mm, that'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah. The dream's there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a nice vision. Yeah. And then be like teaching people as well. Exactly. Having interns and yeah. running camps and such. And you have a camp coming up early next year. Yeah, so we, we were to have one at the end later this year, but yeah. we've postponed it now, hopefully till like January. And you'll be teaching people? be a combination of things. Everything. So we'll do a bit of tanning, a um, bit of weaving, a bit of whittling, plant walks, tanning, like talks around like the philosophy and framework of things. And yeah, a lot of, um, like you said, tools. Um, yep. People don't often, like depending on the culture they were brought up in, um, don't have a huge connection with like, an understanding of, of basic tools they need mm. and how to use them and, and whatnot. So we'll, we, since Tinkers especially... Um, and the traditional cultures that are in England, 
that are still alive. Yeah, we'll share the different hand hand tool, hand powered tools that you can yeah. use for land based livings. We have crosscut saws and scythes and butter churns and yeah, we had a few friends after our last camp who um yeah went to the antique store down the yes. road afterwards <laughs> and went home with a bag of tools and that just makes me so happy. Um, but yeah, as a culture as well, surely of um, patriarchy that women are supposed to use tools. Because I had the same story for for a long time. I would stub I would still stubbornly go into my stepdad's workshop and. Yeah. and try and play with things but I didn't ever feel like I had heaps of confidence around it in terms of need I just had to start using mm. where I was and just being able to yeah feeling confident in using tools and I feel like there's an, even an empowerment in using hand-powered tools yeah. and not using big yeah. chainsaws and drills yeah there's something really there mm. yeah so really excited to share folk yeah mm. and simple like we're not talking about terribly complicated yeah and not hard to get it's all simple and possible yeah I think that's super empowering because it's such like a yeah, just like an invisible limitation. Mm. Like, I don't know, then knowing you can use tools, just you're like, I can do everything now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like everything, but you're like, it's also like where there's a will, there's a way. And it just yeah. gives you more of that. Like, you're like, I can make all the things now. That's and we don't have to outsource yeah. more of the things. So we didn't feel like we had the capacity to before. So now, yeah, just understanding these basic skills and basic tools that you need. Yeah. And, you know, there's forever learning. You'll never stop learning. But, yeah, um, yeah at least a starting point. Yeah. Just a side question. Go <laughs> I was having a good old yeah scroll of your Instagram. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure I literally made it down to the bottom. Oh my god! <laughs> you know most of what's been going on. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, you had some like kind of like outdoor bush shelters mm-hmm. kind of vibe. I think one of them yeah it looks like it was like it's outdoors, maybe like a half shelter thing. I'm ah, doing hand movements, but that's yeah, not very yeah. helpful. The one um, with just a bed underneath. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. I thought you. Were, yep. Yeah, that was. That um, yeah. Do you live? How was that? Yeah, so there's there's two that I'm thinking of, okay. but I think you were talking about the one at Tinker's Bubble. So, okay, um, it's just a little lean-to that I that I yeah. built um, and lived in for this a lot of the summer. Then made a little peg loom sheep wool rug, and yeah, it was beautiful. And um, you're fine with sleeping like bugs at night and stuff. England doesn't have as many mosses. Oh, as here. okay. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, issue. yeah, would you do that here? Yeah, so I did also live in a little shack yep. here up up in the Northern Rivers. Special little shack that's just uh, had a little deck and a fire and a little um, loft for yep. the bed with the big mozzie net. I couldn't have done it without <laughs> the mozzie net. Um, but yeah, I lived in that for oh, I don't know how long now, upwards of a year. A lot on fire. The creek was 20 metres away. Oh, nice. Um, it was just really special. Yeah, mm. it's a very special place in my heart, that one. And mm. fire bath out the back. Had goals, just oh, having yeah. fire bath outside. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's pretty like, true. this is a life. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it was, it was big because you're always outside and kind of facing one of the mm. elements, but like yourself as well, because I had no reception. And yeah. I got, yeah, I had no connection. I mean, I was living on land with other people, but I didn't have actual connection down down there and so you're yeah. always facing yourself yeah because it's, yeah, it's, it's quite an adjustment like I found that like away for a few days or like you get you're camping yeah. and you're just in your own head and then you got like, you get used to the bugs pretty quick but they're still all there yeah um and you just yeah the creature comforts and yeah yeah but I guess you can adjust but I've been just questioning a lot lately like yeah I wonder how much like how many layers people would have to peel back to get used to that mm. or if some you know some people it's just they just couldn't or you could if you had to, it just depends on the situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's amazing what you can 
do like yeah. how much you can pull back yeah there may be challenges but and again it's rewarding i miss the sound of the creek like bubbling away oh, 20 meters away from you too it would have been so lovely and there's so many rocks there like i almost wanted yeah. to, when i left i almost <laughs> wanted someone to record it just to put me to sleep like it was just like it was my lullaby and there's yeah. always a black hooker too that would fly over oh, in the morning and the evening and um i yeah. love black hooker too so if people would like to find out about your camps and follow you on the online realm yeah where do they do that? So, How do they find yeah. <laughs> um, under Kin of the Bush. Yeah. So it's kinofthebush.com and on Instagram and Facebook. It's just Kin of the Bush. Cool. And people can just message you on that. Yeah. Yeah. Always check Say hello. Message. Yeah. Please. Have <laughs> so a chat. Can learn things. Yeah. <laughs> it's so nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. thank you so much today. I know you're such a busy bean mm. lying around. So, yeah, thank you for like making the time and space mm. to. Have me over to have this chat. Yeah, it's such a <laughs> pleasure. Thanks for coming. Like, it's quite a, yeah, yeah. a nice, pleasant surprise to jump on a podcast. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. It's nice to just get to chat as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> we just have to have microphones like, in front of us. Yeah, you know? yeah I know. Yeah. <laughs> and, and just putting the chat out into yeah, the world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Casual public chat. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Signing off. <laughs> Awkward sign of things. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, I got that in there. It took me so long. Oh, really? Yeah. I literally only got two days ago in the car. Oh, that's amazing. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. So I spent two hours in my last week being like, oh, now wait, now it's gone. Now. Thank you for listening to episode 12 of Making Magic Real. I am so grateful you have been here today. As always, if you'd like to have a chat about anything in the podcast, feel free to send me a message. If you really enjoyed the episode, passing it on to a friend means a world or sharing it to your Instagram story is also amazing and just helps spread these magical stories. I hope you're having a lovely day and I'm sending you all the love and all the hugs and see you soon. <laughs> Bye.